Hello, and welcome to Make Mine Multiversity, the best podcast in our universe for exploring the Marvel multiverse. I'm Jana Hill. And I'm Elias Rosner. On the prophesized day is here, today we pass judgment on Judgment Day. Excelsior. More than just uh, the comic Judgment Day, though, we're we're really here to pass big judgment, I think. Yeah, yeah, we got a... We got a lot going on. We're, we finally reached the end of our very big and very long Eternals read-through. The read-through no one asked for, but, you know, I, I enjoyed all the same. Yeah, it, this was a very interesting project that I certainly wouldn't have done under any other circumstance. Yeah, and I think that's what makes it so fun and something that I hope all of you listening uh, enjoyed as we went along. Got to see this broad swath of... You know what did the Marvel Universe look in these di- look in these different eras from a book very much on the periphery of almost all of it. Well, and there's like a zillion podcasts with people talking about like Spider Man, but I don't know of any Eternals podcasts, so we're the only ones stupid enough to do that. <laughs> Who'd be stupid enough to do that? It's us. We're the it's stupid us. ones. It's okay. This that's what that's what makes it fun. And today we are talking about. A big Marvel crossover event, which it feels so weird to say that and not like break into like a cold sweat, you know? Yeah, it really does. Uh, Although we make fun of and I make fun of events in general, but well, no, there isn't a but after that. We make fun (laughs) of events in general and this is not one of them. No, this is not one of the ones I would make fun of. It's funny. I feel like this generation of comics creators, most of the guys contributing to this event in particular are um really in your like formalists are really interested in comic book form Mm -hmm. and so they've all like really had creative summits and tested a couple of different things out at how to successfully do a story in this format and i gotta tell you i don't think judgment day is my very very favorite uh marvel event ever there's like a couple of really good ones that i hold in high regard Mm mm-hmm but, like, it might be the most successful event across the whole thing. Like, there's no fat, there's no extraneous issues, and all of the weird side stuff um, is both meaningful and doesn't derail you if you stick to just the core series. Yeah, and if you go into the, like, side-side stuff, like the tie-ins, like the Amazing Spider-Man tie-in, which we didn't read for today, that one works as a tie-in and it works for the main series and maybe one of the one of my favorite issues of that like first year and like i think the x-force ones were also very good the wolverine ones were also very good better like, than the average issue of those respective series yeah so it managed to a rising tide lifts all boats managed to do that yeah and the other thing that's kind of a mirror miraculous about this series is that how many fucking times have bits and pieces of this very idea been used again and again and again and again? So many. If you want to get down to, like, real basics, the idea of a uh, an unstoppable and uh, inconceivable force passing judgment and destroying the world, like, with Galactus in 1964? Mm-hmm. I mean, how many times have, have they brought in a, a, a fucking celestial to stand there menacingly? Yeah, and how many times has, in the Eternals, the Celestials like, oh no, they're returning for real this time. Jason Aaron did it uh, recently. Mm -hmm. Just like, nothing about the pitch of, okay, but for real, a Celestial's coming, it's going to point its thumb in a direction, and then we are going to have told that story in a way that you care about and we won't want to top every single time, is a tall order. It is, and miraculously... They also wrap it up quickly. It's yeah. not like Celestial arrives, five years go by, it ends with Sinister basically chopping them up for parts. You're going to have to explain that to me. Right, because I feel like a lot of events also, they feel like they've been happening in slow motion for so long. Mm-hmm. And, this and sometimes one... that's fine. Like I liked how War of the Realms and Secret Wars were both building for years and years, even if you didn't know it was coming. Yeah, but I guess this isn't trying to top any of those stories for, like, epic scale and scope. Uh, It's trying to be very true to, like, themes, ideas, and, like, a core story, which is not the priority of a lot of these events. No, no, it's not. And I think that's what makes it work so well. 
Yeah. Um, so Fantastic. before we get into it more, let's talk credits and reading order. Because you know how much I love a reading order. Yes, I'm turning this part of the conversation over to you. So if you're reading it in trade, there are two main trades. There's the Judgment Day trade and the Judgment Day companion trade. The Judgment Day trade has the main issues uh, as well as the three main tie-in issues and the free comic book day issue as well, which is weird. And the companion issue has all of the rest of the ones that I'm, we're going to be talking about. I, it might also have some of the tie-ins we didn't read, but most of the other tie-ins were like issues five and six of an ongoing series. Nothing was... Or like uh, AXE uh, Iron Fist, which was kind of a coda to the Iron Fist miniseries. We didn't really well, read that. Yeah, I, there's a bunch of these I haven't read. I, I, I did look at this whole reading list. Mm-hmm. But of what we read and what we're going to be discussing, um, the reading order is essentially Eve of Judgment, which was the basically prequel one shot, Free Comic Book Day, which I didn't actually write down, I realized, but that's where it slots in. Uh, And then Judgment Day 1 through 5, Avengers, X-Men, and Eternals, which were each a one shot, and that is the order that you read them in, Uh, Judgment Day number 6, and Judgment Day Omega. The tie-ins slot in in the weirdest places because there's Death to the Mutants, which was the three-issue miniseries that's essentially Eternals uh, 13, 14, 15, or I guess 16, 17, 18, if you're counting the specials. Uh, But they're basically just the Eternals book renamed. Uh, And they slot in with uh, Death to the Mutants is roughly after Judgment Day number one, uh, uh, Judgment Day number two, Issue two of the tie-in is roughly after Judgment Day number three, uh, and then the third issue is roughly after Judgment Day number five, and concurrent to the events of the Avengers, Eternals, and X-Men tie-in one-shots. And then Star Fox is after Death to the Mutants number three, but before Judgment Day number six. Are you confused yet? I mean, what I am is very grateful that you put together this reading order and I just immediately turned off my brain of having to think about it. I was just like, I trust Elias because he will not be able to let this rest until it is perfected. Yeah, I I tried to put it together and I to put this together, I read I I did like name searches through Karen Gillen's uh, newsletters because I was also trying to get like insight into into the writing and like w- trying to figure out whether or not this was kind of where he wanted to end or if he wrote this and realized and was like you know I, I'm good now instead of being like I had more stories that I wanted to tell after this but I'm gonna let it rest or if it was like this was a pretty much the plan uh, I could not get a consensus it felt like he could have told more stories but then doing a major event was like all right I think I'm good I yeah, and it's a, here. It's it's like well, a cool conclusion because it feels it's like a real uh, going out with a bang kind of conclusion. Yeah, it really is. And what's also fun is he wrote, he drew a, um, he had a little diagram for the whole uh, for how you read the Avengers, X Men, Eternal, Star Fox, Death to the Mutants issue, and then I think the Avengers tie in, like the Avengers series proper tie in issue, slotted in there because you read it alongside he had this little graph and i'm like yeah that's fun i i it hurts my brain to try and read this in any meaningful way but they're concurrent stories happening next to each other so you can read them in really whichever order as long as the issues in each column happen vaguely in the right place i feel like usually when events have tried to do that in the past it feels to me like um this like vague reaching out and they're just like all right so like this guy was fighting this villain at the time so that was happening like somewhere else i guess you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and with this i felt like the spatial geography of where every which is another miracle because so much of this story takes place in like psychic planes and like teleportation mishaps Mm -hmm. but it really um it, it really like where the eternal was the yeah, the where the no, the celestial where the celestial was at any given time, how it was communicating with people, the conversations it's having with these different people, like I, it was all consistent and clear. 
Yeah. And it, they were the kinds of events that you're like, oh, we can have concurrent threads happening at the same time that just don't overlap. And that's why you can follow each one independently. And it doesn't really feel like gobbledygook or, you know, just a more detailed punch em up. Yeah. And so, and I actually, I want to talk a little bit more about the format, but. Um... Yeah, let, let me do the credits first because we've got, <laughs> God, we, oh, we, we got a list. We've got a list. Oh my yeah, gosh. there's one or two. Uh, this is just one or two. So everything was written by Karen Gillan. And now, let me crack my knuckles. <clears throat> the issues were illustrated by Pasquale Ferry, who did Eve of Judgment Day and uh, The Eternals. I just wrote Eternals. Why did I just write Eternals? X-Men, A-X-E, Eternals. Dustin Weaver did the free comic book day 2022 Avengers X-Men story. Valerio Shidi did Judgment Day 1 through 6. Uh, Ivan Fiorelli did art in issue 6 as well. Uh, Federico Vicentini did the AXE Avengers one-shot. Francesco Mobili did the AXE X-Men one-shot. Uh, and Guillo Villanova did the Death to the Mutants miniseries and the art in the Omega issue. And Daniel De Nicolo did the Star Fox one-shot. The colorists were Dean White, who did Eve uh, and Avengers, Marte Gracia, who did Free Comic Book Day uh, and the main Judgment Day miniseries, uh, Frank Martin did the X-Men one-shot, Matt Hollingsworth did the Eternals one-shot, Dio Lima did Death to the Mutants number one. He would have done the whole thing, but he unfortunately passed away. Uh, while doing that issue, or after having completed that issue. So I believe that's his final coloring work published by Marvel. Um, and then we had uh, Alex Gimarais, who did the coloring for the rest of Death to the Mutants, uh, and was joined by Eric uh, Arseniega uh, on issue three. Frank William did the Star Fox one-shot, uh, and Andres Mosa did the coloring on the Omega issue. And then we have letters by Clayton Cowles, who did... Eve of Judgment Day, the main Judgment Day miniseries, uh, the X-Men and Eternals one-shot, Corey Petit did the lettering on the Free Comic Book Day issue and uh, the Avengers one-shot, Travis Lanham did all of Death to the Mutants and the Omega issue, and Joe Savino did the lettering on Star Fox. Ooh. Kind of not as big as it quite seems because, because Kieran Gillen wrote everything, which has not been the case for a lot of these events. No. Like everything, everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I think the only, like, main issue he didn't write theoretically was, like, Avengers number 56, which I think Jason Aaron wrote. You know, of the of the titular characters, Avengers, X-Men, and Eternals. Because he wrote the Immortal X-Men tie-in tie issues. Right, which were fantastic. Which were fantastic. Uh, he, I guess he didn't write mainline X-Men, because Jerry Duggan's doing that, but... You know, right. Karen but Gillen wrote a lot of issues for this. Yeah, just like the the number of issues is kind of astounding. Yeah, it's very very J. Michael Straczynski on the seasons three through five of Babylon Five. It's like ah, I'm Which just someday do I will it. watch. You you will watch it. I if if we have to sit down, I will I will put you through the paces of it. I yes, I know you will. I think it's on Tubi now. I think it got pulled off. It's not Tubi? on HBO Max Gross. anymore. But I, I have it. I own it. There are ways. There are ways. Yeah. But we're I not know, here to talk ways. about that. We're here to no. talk comics. Okay, so immediately, the reason why... I have a reason why this is such a good event. And that is, most events... There's a lot of events that deal with the end of the world. And a lot of events that deal with a bunch of superheroes and a bunch of supervillains fighting somewhere for something, right? Mm-hmm. This comic has a little bit of that, but the main attraction, like the main action of the story is these weird scenes where, um, to say it like in simple language, um, God appears to every Marvel character uh, manifesting as someone who they hold in esteem or regard or whatever. And mm -hmm. then God judges them good or bad, but it's really like themselves judging themselves good or bad as manifested through their like mentor parent figures. Yeah. Yeah. It happens quite a lot. Is that accurate? So like, that's the, the, a lot of, there are some pages where like every panel, it's like, boom, boom, boom. This is everybody and whether or not they pass Thor it has me Yolner, so he has to be worthy. But is he worthy? We just dealt with that a lot in Jason Aaron, you know? 
Mm-hmm. Would, would Captain America ever believe in a God who thought that he was doing good enough? Like, it's like such a great thing to replace action punch em ups is that every most dramatic moment is so dramatic. Yeah, There's such it is. stakes. And what's fun also is it, it's all a bait and switch, too. Like, we think we're going to get the big punch em up Avengers versus X Men versus Eternals. You know, because that's what was being set up at the end of Karen Gillan's Eternals run. Druig uh, is now the head of the Eternals. He's They've ousted Thanos. And he's like, oh, these mutants, they're now eternal. They have resurrection. Oh, I guess they're deviants. There was also, the I think, the, the revelation that they have deviant DNA in them or something. Well, this had been like an Earth X and all of these like big cosmic Marvel stories. There had been attempts to sort of bring together the deviants and mutants or deviants and mutates. There was mm-hmm. like a period where Marvel was really interested in this. And the moment in this this story that I think um, really captures which is important is when the deviants use the Krakoan gates. Yeah, uh, and some and someone just says, which is a yeah great like fuck yeah moment. But then I think uh, was it Magneto? Somebody says um, eh, they're not exactly mutants, but they're clearly mutant enough to use the gates, so they're our pals. And I'm like, yes, <laughs> yes. Now we now we can have Crow teaming up with Magneto. My dream come true. Well. Well, <laughs> not after this story. I picked Agneto on purpose for that reason, yeah. <laughs> I know. But yeah, I, I love that the beginning of the story, you think it's going to be a big fight between Eternals and X-Men and that the Avengers are kind of going to get embroiled in the middle. That's really the setup. You've got all of these, these moving threads and then all of that's thrown out the window when the Celestial appears or is created and... We take a hard left turn, and it's great. Yeah, and it's such a great—I love the meta idea of um, understanding what drama we want from the superhero comics and um, then getting right to the drama instead of, like, gussying it up in repetitive genre stuff. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, Valeria Shidi's art is so pretty. It's yeah. It's so pretty. It's modern— it's it's a fun like contrast to uh, Ribich's art. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a little bit cleaner and more realistic. It's like less of a cartoony thing, mm-hmm. um, but it's still like glossy and bright. Like it looks brighter than a lot of movies look. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even if it, a lot of it is taking place in like Antarctica at night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Marte Gracia's mo now. Yeah, and I'm, I'm very just, happy. So glad that uh, of everybody to. Uh, uh, to like pop out of uh, X Men blowing up, it's him. Yeah, yeah. So I don't. Uh, I'll let you kind of guide us a little bit through through the events because I could probably just talk about you know Druig throwing cups over his shoulders the whole time. <laughs> right. So so oh, there's a and couple the of Unimind. Oh, don't he? No, no. Looks you, so do... fucking cool. Okay, but I don't know what it is. No, it, I I don't either. It's just a big face in the sky and it's scary, and that's all I needed. Okay, wait, now that I I was like, okay, so it's very simple. But now that I was starting, I'm like, wait, where does this start? The (laughs) Avengers have been living inside a dead celestial for some time now. Yes. And that celestial wasn't like classic celestial. It was like a younger one, right? Mm Mm-hmm. What's it called? It's not in front of me right now. It was the progenitor. The progenitor, right. Yeah, it crashed down, it was dying, it infected the Earth, and that's where all of the superpowered humans come from. I think that's what Jason Aaron did. Yeah. Um, Something and, like uh, that. And Jason Aaron doesn't to put too fine a point on it, and I don't know if it's going to stick, but, like, fine. That's cool, that feels right. Meanwhile, Druig has is now in charge of the Eternals, and he believes that excess deviation includes that the mutants are getting so powerful and making all these big, like, uh, shakeups to the Marvel Universe. Mm-hmm. And so he, he knows like, he's not really a powerful enough leader to really, like, lead them without a unified enemy. Right. And it's, like, classic fascism stuff, but but it's still, it has a... It's, like, buoyant. It doesn't get bogged down in, the in like, the government machinations. No, it doesn't, yeah. 
it's clear what, what Druig is like there to rep what kind of like coward and bully Druig is there to represent. And mm -hmm. the, I also just like I really appreciate that Kieran Gillen always manages to write villains being gleeful about evil shit, but still making it feel like the villains are at the butt of the joke of the comic. Mm -hmm. Like Druig always sounds like such a chump. And um, he's like <laughs> he really gleeful does. about doing this genocide and the flippance with which he's talking about taking mutant lives is um, like really met with horror by the narration of the comic. Yeah. Not by Moira, though. Not by Moira. <sighs> oh, Moira. This ends up dividing into a couple of interesting threads. There are the team of superheroes who are trying to assemble and get to the... Is it the North Pole or the South Pole? It's the South Pole, right? Uh, I think the... God, stupid question. I don't know I why... I think the Avengers are the North Pole. Okay, well, they're, they're trying to get to the North Pole to um, face the progenitor and somehow save Earth is one thread. Meanwhile... A druig has unleashed a bunch of the foreshadowed bullshit from that list of the 101 Eternals names, mm -hmm. including the Hex, which are really weird. And when they were first introduced in this story, I found them kind of off-putting. And by the end of them, I was really cool with the Hex. Oh, yeah. The, the Hex are, are amazing. But they're these, like, big kaiju monsters who are um like the eternals that were built and bred for war so they've kept them on ice for a long 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 time but now they're busted out and they're real powerful and scary but all of them are also kind of like thoughtful and sensitive and like poets and philosophers mm -hmm. and by the end of it these like really giant cthulhu monsters who are like sending emotional text messages like really grew on me i love i love them i hope we get to see more of them but i also hope we don't because that means that they've been unleashed again yeah 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 totally um but which is a great setup yeah and so what i love an idea that uh, you're like well we can't ever top that but shouldn't we try i, I love the uh <laughs> yeah. how, like a this is we've no one's ever gotten into trouble from thinking like this right <laughs> right and th so then there's a thread i guess this is the one that happens the least in these issues today but where um the other evil move that Druig does is waking up uranos uranos uranus how do we how do you say his name i i've been saying Thanos. it as uranos like you you are a nose like you are a nose yeah so uh like you are a nose <laughs> but uh, uranos is like the grandfather of eternals kind he is like their patriarch yeah and he's a super murder genocide machine yeah you want to you want to tell a get me back up to speed with the um with uh how he originally went on ice because we were talking about that at the end of last episode with the new secret history of the eternals yeah so uranos was we saw the original in the what if issues a battle between Uranus and Kronos. Basically, Uranus was like, all humans, all life, they are all deviants. I have, we have to kill them all. And uh, Kronos is like, no, that's that's stupid. Uh, so they fight. Uh, Uranus eventually like flies off into space. What is retconned here by Karen Gillan is that the Uranus who went off into space was not actually the real Uranus. He was a clone, you know, as you do. <laughs> Which do. is why he was far more unstable. He was just kind of like your your raving madman, and because like, the Uranus makes some some comment about how they went with like an inferior version of himself, like to to pretend that so that they could pretend he was sent off to kill to be killed, and in actuality he was locked up in the exclusion because his three principle he he changed the principles to be like as hard line as possible. Which is terrifying, and what and such an interesting. Uh, uh, this is what I mean by like the, the themes of this are so cool because yeah. uh, what's scary about him is that he seized power using he didn't break the rules in how he seized power, but once he was powerful enough to change the rules, he started doing them in ways that like you can never go back on. Yeah, and he created. He was like, "Well, you can't kill me." This was why they sent out the fake one to to fool everyone. Because he was, he's like, oh, you kill me, uh, I will unleash the entirety of my arsenal, uh, and everything will die. So, yeah. your move, guys. And they try to break him down psychically, they try to get through, but he's like, Mr. Powerful Man, so they have to lock him up. Uh, and Thanos, at the end, is talking with him and gets a hold of 
the key. This was at the end of the Thanos. Of the last, yeah. Yeah, of, of the heretic. Uh, yeah, Thanos the heretic. Yeah, um, but so... I found Uranus in this to be like one of the, the hex are cool, but Uranus was the most effective addition to me because he's really scary. I get what he's supposed to be. And there's like a lot of unstoppable Marvel Superman care, like uh, analog characters. I mm-hmm. hear that in the upcoming movie, the Thunderbolts are going to be fighting the Sentry, for example. But Uranus is like a felt so scary and so unique. And I got what was at stake for him personally in this fight. And we're not, we didn't focus on this, but all of this stuff with him on Mars battling the X-Men and the Iraqi there are, was, um, was the coolest part of the whole event to me. And I know yeah. I was just talking about how good Karen Gillan was and only Karen Gillan at the beginning of this, but okay, Al Ewing too. Al, Al Ewing, Ewing was great. Again, one of the best issues of X-Men read so far was that issue. Or those couple issues. Uh, and even the one page of Uranus on uh, Araco in this comic, in issue one, is like one of the scariest pages. Totally. all he does is he counts down, he has a skull in his hand. Well, it's Cable's skull, because Cable was resurrected. And then we just zoom out and there's just an X made of bones and nothing but destruction <laughs> as far as the eye can see. Horrifying. Yeah, it, it, the, the specifics are great. And, um, and I, like that, I like that it's ideological for him. I like that he wants to control the Eternals and is like an Eternal supremacist. And that's ultimately the real conflict. Like more even than um, the Celestial coming and killing us all is mm-hmm. the idea that Uranus is going to rewrite the rules so that we can never he can never be stopped or removed. Yeah. Yeah, he's kind of the looming threat beneath it all. It's like, well, if it's bad now, just imagine what happens if he's given like the tiniest bit of of the reins. Yeah, and I I guess the the last thread that I think uh is interesting in this is the Eternals, the guys we want to f- focus on have their uh, three Eternals laws and because they're trying to stop a celestial from doing something and that's completely against the laws of the eternals how they get around that and how getting around them that makes them feel is Mm -hmm. also one of the best parts of the conflict here yes for sure i realized we're we're kind of dancing around the story and we should probably uh get more into it sequentially so do you want to do that after the break yeah Marveling at the Movies is a new show on the Multiversity Podcast Network in which I, Alexis, and I, Matthew, force our other friend, Matt, hello, to watch every film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe as they lead up to the upcoming Avengers Infinity War. You see, our friend Matt, hello, has never read a comic book in his life, nor ever had any interest in watching any of these films until Black Panther came out. And even then, I want to note that I just thought Black Panther was cool and really didn't feel like I had to watch any of these other movies. Which is where we came in and decided otherwise for him. Each episode features us interviewing Matt before and after watching each film, gauging his knowledge of the characters, seeing what he thinks will happen, and what characters he starts rooting for or identifying with. And then mercilessly teasing him afterwards with all of the comic book knowledge, Easter eggs, and other random nonsense that we know and can hold over his head. Cool. So join us every weekday this April for a new episode full of cinematic insight. Fun facts. And I'm here also. (laughs) And welcome back. We're here to discuss Judgment Day. Uh, We have been kind of dancing around the issues for a bit, but now we're going to really dive in, go through it, figure out what happens, when, why, how, why is Sinister looking so evil? Yeah, and this isn't even Sinister as like... uh biggest uh move lately but yeah uh we start off with um mr and i love that we started with sinister because this was always hanging over me where he had manipulated the dreaming celestial a bunch of times yeah and and we didn't read any of those issues so i'm lost i'm like oh i guess that's what happened in between uh volume four of eternals and now yeah that happens in kieran gill and x-men but Uh... sinister's pre-existing connection to the celestials was always uh, missing for me because that was probably my biggest introduction in a comic to like what the Celestials were the first time. Mm-hmm. So I was like really attached to that uh, version of things. 
And um, I was glad to get the acknowledgement and for Sinister to be like such a schmuck in this story. He's so slimy and um, he is constantly betraying everybody. Just like, I can't believe Sinister and Druid were in the same story and they both were fun. (laughs) Yeah. One didn't outshine the other, or I guess out out slime the other. I I stepped on your toes. Uh, What do you want to say about Sinister? Oh, no, I was just saying I didn't know what was up with, with Sinister and the Dreaming Celestial. I was like... We got a couple references here, and I finally understood. Because when I first read this, I'm like, oh, okay. Because in issue, at first, Sinister was kidnapped by uh, Makari and Ajak when they found out kind of a what was going on as part of the intrigue around what Druig was doing and the start of this war. And they're like, how do we prevent this? And Makari and Ajak, following up on this Celestial con- Celestia conversation, were like, well the people we thought were gods or I guess the celestials, you know, we were betrayed by them. They, they've learned some, some even more terrible truths that the, the deviants were the most important people on the planet. Actually, that was like the big reveal at the end of arc two. So they've been really disillusioned and they're like, we need to make our own God. How dare, how dare these people live in the hollowed out shell of our, of, of one of these things. We need to make our own. Which like fair. Yeah. Fair, fair. And they're like, this is the only way to stop Druig and, and make sure that like we have enough power to defeat them and uh, defeat the Eternals proper because these are kind of the the Rebel Eternals group. So they go around the planet like grabbing stuff from different locations throughout Eternals history that we've read comics for, which I thought was really fun. I loved that. Uh, I always love that trick. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and it, it was just special here because we had just gone through that history so recently. Yeah, but we reached this this whole thing about like the dreaming celestial stood here and like Makari and Ajak were really mad at Sinister because he had chopped up the dreaming celestial or something. I'm like, whoa, 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 wait, what? <laughs> yeah, that what was, was some that? of the more that was some of the more uh, X Men heavy stuff. Yeah, so I was like, did that happen in uh, Manifest Destiny? Did that happen right after? Right after Manifest Destiny. Okay, so that was just one of the things that I was I was surprised about, and I'm glad now I have a little more context for, even though it was unimportant. It was just like, here's the continuity nod. You don't need to know about it. All that's important is there was a piece of the Celestial left, and uh, that piece was probably very bad. And the, the horror of, like, X-Men's got into this a little bit, but it became so central to the Eternals of having your your long history able to be erased like that, like for malicious and nefarious purposes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's bits of Frankenstein throughout this. And this is the more literal part. They literally build a Frankenstein god who turns around and is like, my creators suck. I'm going to judge him now. And the Hex are also kind of Frankenstein-like, I felt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wonder if that was an, any, uh, I wonder if that was explicitly on, on Karen's mind. I mean, he did do a lot of Frankenstein and Mary Shelley research for his last two big comics, so. That's true. I imagine it's not just, an accident. All of the research spilled over into this. Anyway, so they build the Celestial, and that's kind of what derails the whole thing, because the Celestial come, comes alive and then is like, ah, yes, I can stop this war. You all are terrible. Uh, I give you one day to justify yourself to me. Goodbye. And this is also when we find out that the narrator, whose narration boxes were slightly different color than the machine called Earth normally is, was this celestial the whole time. This yeah. monstrous celestial who is the narrator for the entirety of the Judgment Day main event. Uh, the machine called Earth is the narrator for Death to the Mutants. Which I really liked. I liked that that split. I like that split too. And this is where this is the most I like the machine called Earth because the notion of the Earth being a character who can talk to you, and that Earth is constantly being threatened for with destruction because it's a superhero comic. Mm-hmm. That is like a really fun thing where you just personify the Earth, and the Earth is like, well, no one asked me if I wanted to get destroyed or not today. Everyone's taking that kind of for granted, but I got opinions. <laughs> I really. That I really liked. Um, and yeah, just like the the machine called Earth always felt like a cute idea that didn't need to be. But this was the first time that it needed to be Earth because mm-hmm. the Earth is now reacting to this globe shaking conflict. Yeah. And then we start getting into the judging, which uh, while reading this, both, I mean, later on in the comic, but, but this conceit 
of every so often we'll get like this six this six panel grid of these six characters that we follow uh, throughout the issue basically and see how they change or don't change really kind of like emphasizes the global and personal nature of the event like yeah we're getting all of the the heroes and villains but also we get you know this person struggling on the street this you know kind of racist brit this child this person who's like i don't really know what to do there's this struggling millennial and when when he started doing this um this like man on the street thing i kind of rolled my eyes at first because i feel like this is a pretty go-to move in a lot of these events where it's just like jump uh i've seen D- dc comics do this really poorly a bunch of times oh my god yeah yeah and no, so i right. kind I was kind of eye-rolling at the beginning of this. I was just like, oh, it's so global. We're checking in with... But just all of them have, like, a little bit deeper realization in this. And all, like, they're... The reason for their different perspectives became clear by the end. And, like, the yes. ways in which they were different and similar is arranged. Mm-hmm. And it's nice that we actually follow them throughout the whole thing. Usually when they, like, DC would do it, you'd get these four people. And then you get a different four people. And you get different four people. Yeah, repeat, returning the to them person. Mm-hmm. within the story is just such a sense. Like, imagine a movie where every couple of minutes it just, like, showed a different character that you don't care about that you'll never see again. Mm-hmm. Holy yeah. shit, what? Sorry, I'm seeing Marvel news right now while I'm looking at something, and I shouldn't be looking at it. Oh, no, you'll, you'll have to tell me about it later. It's relevant to this conversation. Anyway, oh. I found a list of um, everybody who passed and failed the judgment in Judgment Day. Ooh, ooh, let's go through it. All right. First on the fail list, we have Captain America. Yeah. Makes sense to me. (laughs) Powerful move, but it makes sense to me. The whole point of Captain America is that he holds himself to an impossibly high standard. And um, how could Captain America imagine a god that thought that uh, anything that any human could do is good enough? Mm hmm. And also, the, you know, the point that the character, you know, the Judgment Day guy makes, that the Celestial makes, is salient within his logic, which is, you know, you've been trying this long and your job hasn't worked. I deem you a failure. And Captain America's like, well, okay, fuck you. I'm still going to try. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the other thing is um, he's motivated by the, by the disapproval. Mm-hmm. Next on the list is Emma Frost, who fails, mm-hmm. which also makes sense to me. Her guilt of her fa- uh, and her failures has been like such a huge part of the character in recent days. Yeah. Yeah, I think and that's not one of the issues we read. We read. She fails yeah. in one of the tie-ins. Yeah, a couple of these are uh, X-Men centric here. Yeah. I mean they me- they get mentioned in the main book, but Oh my god, there's just so many of these. I'm going down. Um <laughs> yeah, there there are a lot. Do you want you want to uh, just go down and uh, say uh, makes sense or doesn't make sense? Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. We got Kamala Khan and um she and she passes. Makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense. She's kind of like never say die attitude. Kate Pride passed. Professor X like doesn't know if he passed or not, but he failed. Oh yeah, he no yeah that that might have been my favorite of that failure like of that spread. I think it's like like four or five pages in like issue four. Yeah, where it's just let's go through. There's a bunch of people being judged. Let's see if I can find it. In the Professor X one, uh, God is manifesting as his son doing the downward thumb, where it's just yeah. like, yeah, of course he has that much guilt. Of course. Doctor Doom passes, because of course Doctor Doom passes. That was probably my favorite pass. Doom passes himself. I yeah, concur. He, he, yeah. He, uh, yeah. And I concur, too. Doom does pass. Mm-hmm. Daredevil, Daredevil fails harder than anybody. I love it. I love that one. It's like he fail, he fails, and then he's like, I know. And then he keeps going. Yeah, and also just like uh, the, he's picturing the Catholic God, and the Catholic God doesn't know like anything he's uh, he's about. Yeah. Miles Morales passes, and what I thought was really cute where he's just like, "What's up, God?" And the Celeste was like, "Hey, Miles." <laughs> I give him a thumbs up. He gives me one back. <laughs> but then also, Kenta never gets judged. Kenta is still not doing his home homework. I withhold judgment. He's too young. <laughs> I am not a monster. I like that um, that he considers failing Thor, but then he's like, but obviously Thor is worthy. It says so on his hammer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's like, I, I can't like that, fail Thor. 
Cyclops is so beyond giving a single shit what any authority figure could ever see of him. He's so far through the looking glass, he can't help but pass just by default. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exodus passes because if, if there's one thing Exodus has, it's unshaking a con- a conviction that his faith is true and he's serving it well. Mm-hmm. There's a couple others. I like that, uh, of course, Crow passed because Crow's the fucking best. Yeah, yeah, you can't fail Crow. Come yeah. On. Anyway, this conceit is just so good. Seeing how uh, th- what they're guilty of or what they're proud of, and the cracks in the facade of of the Celestial too. Like when it's talking about Komali, Arjun's uh, wife, now widow. Arjun had died because was it Icarus got resurrected? Someone got I resurrected. I think so. Yeah, in like one of the issues, which was like, oh man, that's a. You knew someone from this grid was going to die, and it's just a gut punch. But, like, he's like, this makes me question myself, whether yeah, and like, fearing that he would be judged. I'm like, ooh. And I think you're actually hitting on something more profound that the comic does as well, which is the very question of how could, like, a mortal writer conceive of perfect godly judgment and write it? Mm-hmm. But everything about the comic is saying the no to that entire idea like the god that we're considering here was built by angry followers of another god Mm -hmm. and ultimately what he's judging everybody on is really hypocrisy and whether or not they are consistent with their internal compass of what they believe the right thing is and then that becomes a really interesting look at like the concepts like guilt and justice and honor and stuff because Mm -hmm. like there's no way there's no way Dr. Doom thinks that he's doing the wrong thing. He's all about uh, being confident in what you do in the same way that Miles Morales is. It's like it's easy for both of them. Mm-hmm. And then you have someone like Jean Grey who ends up failing because she still feels like she's failed often enough. But at the same time is like, how dare you fail me for, you know, not being perfect? Yeah. And of, yeah, and of course, like, yeah, Dark Phoenix being guilty about killing a lot of people has been a big part of Jean Grey's motivation for a long, 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 long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I just, that was, uh, and this takes us towards, um, in the latter half of this, when we're doing the operation of trying to get the heroes to the Celestial to have the confrontation. Mm-hmm. Just one of the coolest, like, just badass superhero shit is when the team realizes that the Eternals can't oppose the Celestials, but they can if they're knocked unconscious and Jean Grey puppets them and some like ghoulish <laughs> use of her superpowers. Mm-hmm. It was just like such a cool, that's what they're doing in X-Men right now with thinking of unique ways to combine their powers. And that's such an interesting choice that the Eternals end up making where there's they decide that they want to attack God even though they physically cannot so they figure out like how to what's the best way they can skirt the rules and get what they want mm-hmm. and what a great I mean we're, as we'll get to the towards the end of this episode I think we'll wrap it up more thoroughly but what a great mission for the Eternals is a bunch of beings who have served their god, but, like, know that their god is wrong and fallible and are trying to escape their fate. Mm. That's a... That's a hook. That's a hook for a comic. Yeah. It just... It brings you... It brings you deeper into their their mindset instead of what we had been getting a lot of, which is, you know, here they are, they do some stuff, and then they pose. But this gets more to the core of the characters and... And, like, what is their role within the Marvel Universe and within, you know, Earth? Right. And in the end, Earth ends up being the real hero of this story. Uh-huh. Well, Earth and Earth and uh, love. Right. Earth and love. Okay. So that's the part to me that sits the weirdest. Can we talk about that a little bit? Okay. Let's do it. Okay. So Thanos is the most uh, famous eternal uh type character and we got a bunch of him in in this eternals run mm-hmm. um but i'd say probably number two more if to like long marvel people more than icarus more than cersei is star fox thanos's brother yep eros eros and eros has the power of love 
Um, and this is all like our very obvious like Eros, Thanos, uh, love and death. It's just like very uh, grad school in the 70s work. <laughs> but in Marvel, the way this is usually manifested is that Eros can um, undermine the will of anybody to make anyone fall in love with anything. And this has not been hand- like at the worst of times. This has been extremely poorly handled, and, like upsetting to read. Mm hmm. Um, and even at the best of times, it's a story about Eros being like, um, like I, I like uh, what Dan Slott does with the character in his She-Hulk run, where Eros doesn't believe in personal responsibility, and uh, he's just like a rich kid going around life with no sense of consequences. Mm. And he's very much like, um, like even if you can have a conversation with him and he's not mean, he's very much an antagonist in that story. Yeah. So having him come back here... And sweeping all that under the rug and being like, no, Eros's power is like actual profound love. It's not just like making people fuck against their will. It's not coercing people for sex. It's like this deeper understanding of love. And his power is really more philosophical than psychic. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Did you have, I guess, what, what did you think about that? that bringing bringing him back in that way is it just it does it just sit so weirdly or is it like i admire how boldly it tries to step forward without because i feel like if you tried to acknowledge the past you would just drag down by it with that yeah and again like with the eternals you can make the argument of oh he's been reset to an earlier state this isn't the same eros I guess also a lot of the other characters got like thoroughly explored like uh, Fastos and Druig in the story. But Eros is just making his return here. So we don't actually see a lot of how this change in him is affecting the people around him or people reacting to it. Mm. He just shows up as like a big, he's kind of the deus ex machina. In some ways, yeah. In some ways. I get like, the story, I'm not giving, that doesn't give enough credit to how well the story is written. But the move of bringing him in within the story, he serves it. But at the end, it's he is prime eternal and he is going to lead them. And how will he lead them are all like interesting questions. And that kind of feels like a cliffhanger that um, is going to be feel ominous until I'm comfortable with how they land it. Well, the the answer was he is not the prime eternal anymore. Right. He gave uh, he gives it up. But the, the stories you can tell out of that move, like I, until those land and I, 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 I'm, I don't feel like I know where we want arrows to end up yet and that still makes me uncomfortable there's a lot mm-hmm. of baggage i get that i don't know enough of that baggage so so I'm yes i didn't read to you in. as a as an arrows noob well as someone who encountered him here and then in three issues of avengers in the 80s <laughs> um or like early 90s i forget which one it was i think it was 90s it was like it was like 246 to 248 the 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 little bit there it's I think, I mean, I think Karen Gillan does does a good job of, what's the word for it? Like uh, reconciling those two parts of himself? I think so. I think for making the case of Eros being a character that's not, that shouldn't be written off. Like a character yeah. with the potential to be, to, to be a good character, both in terms of compelling and in terms of like morally good whatever that means, especially in this comic. I think that's a fraught way of putting it. Right. But, and that's why, that's why you, it functions, I think you get what I mean. That's what functions so well here too, is mm-hmm. like the idea of good or bad uh, ends up taking a back seat when love is introduced, which is not framed as good or bad, just as like another motivation. That's not like justice, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah, and I think one one of the scenes that really helps me with that is when Karen Gillan's just describing like what Eros has been doing, and it's just Eros listens. Like he just keeps listening to people, trying to figure out like what do they want, and then making that, and then like using his powers to help make that kind of come about. Well, yeah, and I guess sense. the the pivot they're making is. Um before Eros always came in with a strong motivation of how who he wanted who to love and how Mm -hmm. but now he's coming in and he is almost a servant to the people he's manipulating which is compelling Mm -hmm. like he's trying to help them 
uh, chain their goals that they're thinking about, not the goals that he put in their head. Yes. Yeah, like, like I said, it's um within the story, I like it. I don't know how I feel about him in the whole MCU, but yeah, MCU that was a Freudian slip. I meant in the whole six one six. I mean, we don't really know what we feel like about it, him in the MCU either. Yeah, <laughs> that, Harry you know, Styles. That, that Enterprise might be collapsing or whatever, but I felt like that every every other week this year. Yeah. 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 But yeah, um, I'm trying to look for how it happens on the last page, but I really like how Kieran wraps up this comic. Uh, in the Omega issue or in issue six? I think in issue six is what I'm thinking. Yeah, because the Omega issue is very much a wrap up on the Eternals themselves and less of of a wrap up on Judgment Day, the event. Still pretty impressive that he, uh, he could have both those endings in the story and have it work so well. Yeah, yeah totally um i just i have one more thing with arrows oh um so last time we were talking about how there were 101 eternals on the list but there were only 100 eternals created that's right uh, meet our 101st the excluded e eros right that's right and he, he got the the freaking code name yep Yep, he was added. He He's the only Eternal to ever be successfully added to the machine. Which is, that's cool. And now that we've spent a whole series, like, figuring out what the rules are, breaking them means something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We still don't know who the other two excluded are, though. <laughs> yeah. It's gonna, I maybe, kill, it's gonna get me. Maybe it'll show up in his X-Men. Oh, maybe. Who knows? Um, but yeah, the, the end of the event is, is, I mean, it's a very personal thing. The... So the Earth defeats the Celestials with the help of, of Eros and, and everyone. And they basically, they make a, a philosophical argument, a theological argument, and, you know, the question of can the Eternals change? Or, like, underneath Judgment Day is, I think, this looming question of who you are now. Can you use that to condemn a person, a society, or anything? in perpetuity is change possible and is positive change possible does living eternally mean always being the same or are you always different Mm -hmm. Um, and and the answer can't be both (laughs) yeah and cersei kind of and that that's cersei's ultimate sacrifice is being like i i will be the one to like make a serious meaningful change and is is punished for it. Which, which is, uh, is consistent with how she gets treated. It is. I don't know how I feel. I think it works in the story. I think it is, is meaningful. I'm sensing a butt from you. I just don't know how I feel about it because I think Cersei's gotten treated so poorly over the years. I don't think this is like a poor treatment. In part because I think Kieran justifies it very well in how, you know, she's ultimately killed and killed forever by the judgment of humans who are mad at the secret. Whether or not she deserved that judgment is left is 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 an open question. And like, I don't think she deserved that judgment. I think everyone who was like, kill her was wrong and that's but that's also like thematically part of the event it's like are the judgments that are given good are they correct and some of them are some of them are not some of them are but for the wrong reasons and it's muddy and difficult and i don't think there really is a good way of coming down on them firmly i think that's part of the point and that's why i'm not sure how I feel about Cersei's death and the sticking of Cersei's death while also being like, I think it was the right move. It's the kind of thing that um, is right in the story that's being told here, but maybe is uh, more questionable in like the face of the context in which the story was created. Like all the other times that uh, characters like Cersei have been marginalized to advance, you know, shittier motivations that are less Mm -hmm. thoughtful. Yeah. Yeah. And it's tough because you, you want to honor the intelligence of how this story is told while uh, acknowledging how other stories complicate it. Yeah, for sure. 
I want to read. So I want to close out this part of the conversation. I want to read kind of the end of issue six. Okay. Um, the final word. I just think that this is a beautiful little passage of writing, but more so it um, it's like the best since great power becomes becomes great responsibility mission statement that what Marvel superheroes are about and like why these stories still resonate with me and others. Mm-hmm. And then after I read this, I want to uh, spend the rest of our time today just talking about Eternals in general and, what, and how we how we've changed or how we've been left eternal. Mm-hmm. But at the end of this comic, the uh, the Celeste, the narrator, which is now a changed version of the Celestial that was passing judgment, mm-hmm. uh, says, remember, you did not pass, failed. I was not worthy of judging anyone. Uh, she will work to become a god worthy of the name. While her heretical followers have an endless, thankless penance to serve you, she will not make my mistake. We cannot judge a species in a single day. Judgment is ongoing. Your mistakes are cumulative. You should remember that every day when you wake in the morning, perhaps today is the day the species goes too far. And the earth is doomed. Act accordingly. Every day is judgment day. That's just, that's fucking that's good. Beautiful. That's it is. It, and I feel so cool for having read, like, I, we've read this story a bunch of times throughout the decades in Eternals, and now I feel like this was, I was really touched by that. I thought that was really uh, thoughtful and well-written and, like, a moving mission statement as to, like, Spider-Man's about great power and great responsibility, and Eternals is about how every day is Judgment Day. Live every day like it's Judgment Day. Mm-hmm. I think that's so cool. It is very cool. And it leaves us in a position for the Eternals to go forward with a status quo that's, I think, very malleable and different from your normal superhero. Like, where we've left the Eternals before, they've either been, like, fucking off into space or positioned as a new superhero team. And while it's true that technically they are now being positioned as superheroes again, they're very much also being positioned as this like complicated society with various factions and the ones that are like the focal characters Icarus and company are penitents now they're working selflessly instead of like we're here to save you it's how can we help and I really like how you said uh most of the eternal stories have ended with them fucking off the space (laughs) Mm -hmm. and at the if they stopped publishing X-Men comics for a year, and you know, any given year, this lately maybe it's a little different, you would be like, okay, when the X-Men aren't around, they're like at a school in Westchester or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what the X-Men are doing on their day, day off? I don't know if that's the was the case for the Eternals. That's why we had to keep sending them to space. But now if there's no Eternals comic and we come back and it's like they went back to living their lives, we know what that looks like. And they have like a place to go. They have a home. And they mm-hmm. have loved ones and they have like hobbies and shit. And they yeah. don't just feel they don't just feel like uh, these one line personality traits who have no reason for being at least at the end of Judgment Day, which I think is a great transition into um, Elias. Is the Eternals good? I think so. Yeah, you I've, think- I've had my ups and downs with the Eternals, but I think they can be good. I think there's enough there to make them interesting. I think they have so many more pitfalls than much of the rest of the universe, the Marvel universe. Yeah, I have to say that the game in Ramita stuff is when I started to be like, all right, really good comic writers can do something with this. And this was the first comic that we read that I was like, okay, this was a good comic. Yes, yes. Even though I I, I had a soft spot for Kirby's stuff, because it's Kirby. Right. Uh, it was and even the and goofy. even even the people who followed up on Kirby that second Eternal series it it was very up and down but I enjoyed getting to spend so much time in Lemuria and I, I think because Crow featured so heavily. Honestly. <laughs> of course. Honestly, honestly, Crow. That's why we didn't really talk about Death to the Mutants, but that's Crow's story. It's a three issue Crow miniseries. Good shit. I um. I guess that that's my pitch next time is now that we've done the careful job at propping up all of this bullshit eternal stuff as like being something mm-hmm. as meaning something. I feel like the next thing I want to see is uh, someone existing outside of these systems with these systems as the background. 
Mm. Like just a story about Gil, my guy Gilgamesh, the forgotten one, and he's traveling between the different Eternals groups and they're all um, staying in their status quo, working on the shit that the Eternals work on. You get what I mean? I get what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like we're uh, checking in on them, but but having the outside perspective of what's going on, kind of breaking the bubble a little bit instead of kind of being trapped in it. Yeah, I guess I guess my real pitch, though, would be a Crow book. Just have Crow. Yeah. He's in the Marvel Universe. He's doing his own thing. Like a Crow solo book would be sick. That's the that's my main takeaway from reading all the Eternals. <laughs> like Crow rules. Crow and... rules. And I think Kieran Gillen really got Crow, too. And like the relationship between Crow and Thena being like, oh, we're terrible together. Let's hopefully never do it again. We'll probably end up together for a little bit, though. <laughs> like, like. I I I really liked I, just to go back to it. I really liked Karen Gillan's voice for Crow. Me too. Absolutely. Just, he got him. He got all these characters. It's it's kind of amazing. Like I yeah, like I said it's a, it's really a miracle that um he made Zurus not terrible. Like he's still, you know, th- the asshole patriarch, but he felt like a a complete character. Do you feel like uh an Eternals comic can exist without this stellar creative team is there like another team that could do justice to the eternals i don't know that's my thing is like this was a redemptive comic but i think it was more of a showcase for the talent involved than for uh the ideas on that they were working with i think yeah it's hard because i think karen gillen's voice worked so well I don't know who else could do it. I think we could get... I mean, we also don't know. I mean, I was going to say in 15 years, we don't know what kind of creators... Even in five years, we don't know what kind of creators will be coming up who might have a voice and a story to tell with them. I was going to say 15 years. All the the comics we've read in the last 15 years have been crazy different. Oh my God, you're... Yeah. Would you recommend uh, to somebody... Who wasn't doing our crazy project to read the read the Eternals? Yeah, this especially the Karen Gillan stuff, hands down, no questions. Yeah, if if they knew nothing about Eternals, if they didn't care about Eternals, this will make them care. For of all of the series, is this is the only one I think that does that. Not even Kirby could make I think someone who wasn't somewhat interested in these characters already interested in the characters. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I think the moral of the story is Asad Rivich, the best. Kieran Gillen, the best. And all the rest of the team. Uh, yeah, the everyone, best. all the other uh, writers and artists, freaking best. Uh, just our artists mostly, because he wrote all of it. But Oh, yeah. But this, that if you really give a team of comic book masters the blank check and the latitude they to do what's in their head, and um, you get, you know. You get them excited, you get the story having some energy behind it. Any stupid bad superhero can be made to be inter- to be interesting. At the end of the day with comics, the creators are the most reliable indicator of quality. For sure. And, you know, speaking of that, I think we we've wrapped up our time on Judgment Day. We've wrapped up our time on the Eternals. Thank goodness. <laughs> I, I did enjoy this project and I'm very glad you were here with me on it uh, but I, I am ready to move on to something and we have reached the current day in fact we got Judgment Day was coming out as we had started this so we have reached very recent but we're going to go a little bit more recent uh, when we come back next time and check back in on All Things X-Men I'm so excited I miss I miss my X-Men. To me, my X-Men. I'm so excited. I've been reading this really consistently. You're going to catch up, right, before we record next time? Yeah, I'm caught up on most of the X-Books. I think there are a few I'm behind on. I think it's like the weird peripheral ones, like Extreme X-Men. Oh, yeah, that's some of that stuff I'm a little behind on, too. But I, I, I've been catching up the last, last couple months. Not to tip my hand too much, but X-Force? Surprisingly good? Oh, yeah. Well, I guess we'll talk experts. I'm very excited. We X-Men is obviously our favorite thing to talk about in this show, and we haven't done it in a while. Yeah, and thankfully, Sins of Sinister will also be finished by then, so we can talk about the whole thing. Oh, shit. Hell yeah. Very excited to hear that. Yeah, you can tell that we're recording this before it has finished. <laughs> That's always the dance we do. It is. It is. Uh, 
But uh, until then, where can they find you, Jaina, on those interwebs? I can be found on multiversitycomics.com, which is a pretty great website, uh, where I write a lot about X-Men, a comic that I like. Um, my sort of defunct Twitter handle is at rambling underscore moose. You can find me on Tumblr at uh, ramblingmoose.tumblr.com. And you can find me on Reddit lurking in the threads of um, Sentinels of the Multiverse strategies I really want to beat Oblivion. How about you, Elias? I mean, you can find me uh, writing at multiversitycomics.com. You can email me at erosner at multiversitycomics.com. My Twitter handle is, was, might be one day in the future on a different platform. At Quetzal-ish, that's Q-U-E-T-Z-E-L-I-S-H. Thank you all for joining us on this very long, very large Eternals run. This episode was edited by Livian Safir. We have an editor um, because I got tired of, of doing editing. My my, my wrists, thank you. Excelsior.